Are you ever faced with a decision and confused by your options? Become empowered with the knowledge to make informed choices, expand your awareness, and go beyond the mainstream. Infuse your life with spirituality and surround yourself with a community of like-minded people. Welcome to Empowered Today. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Natural Childbirth 101, and now our host, Jennifer Hemphill. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? We're here today to talk about an exciting topic, nutrition. Dun, dun, dun. Now, this is one of those nutrition or these topics, you know, nutrition where people like run for the door, right? Oh, you're going to tell me I need a diet. I'm out of here. Uh, not exactly the way we want to talk about this topic today. We want to talk about nutrition for life. How do you eat so that you're in the best shape you can be? What do you give your body so it can perform at 100%? And what do you not eat to try to avoid having problems later on? Our country in particular has a wealth of conditions that we know are attributable to diet. So why is that? Why do we continue to eat things that we probably shouldn't and avoid the things that we probably should eat? Well, I know for myself, the stuff that really tastes good is really horrible for you. But there's ways that you can find foods that meet in a middle ground and are still applicable to that healthy lifestyle that you're trying to create. We want to talk about how this type of diet can be used by people of all ages, how kids can be supported in a healthier diet, how adults can be supported in a healthier we also want to talk about what happens when you don't pay attention to your body. And there's plenty of things that can happen if you misuse food in any way or don't keep your nutrient base high. So I'd like to start out by just posing a question. What's in your pantry? We uh, happen to have a very healthy woman here with me at my side. Miss Kaleem is here, of course, as you know, and she was one of the first people that said to me, how many greens are you getting a day, lady? It's usually around pregnancy that we're talking about that. And I know that's a big topic when you're talking to your clients, making sure they are getting nutrient dense foods. So can you tell us a little bit about why that is so important? When I think about talking to pregnant clients, I know that this is a time for them to expand, change, and grow, right? Both physically, emotionally, mentally, in every way. And when I understand how pregnancy works to prevent those complications later on, like we've talked about before and we will talk about again, what they eat makes a huge difference on, one, how they feel, how their baby grows, how their birth happens, how they make milk, and frankly, it's a time of beginning beginning that road to how you're going to teach your children how to eat. Mm -hmm. So I remember a young mom and she told me that she was a vegan. She was having her first baby. And I thought, okay, great. Give me a diet sheet. Let me make sure that you're getting enough protein and that everything is working well for the pregnancy you need. And when I looked at it, I thought, okay, she might be a vegan claim to be, but she doesn't know how to eat. And so I said, all right, meet me at the store. So we met at the store and we went through the aisle of the various things that had labels on them to say, all right, this is this much protein. This is this much protein. 
and hear the other sources in the 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 produce aisle and in mushrooms and in everything else in order to help her understand how to eat so that she had a healthy pregnancy, baby, and birth. And frankly, that's, you know, that really is the beginning of a lifetime of transition in themselves, right? So they have, we, we have to be taught to eat well unless we grow up in a family that has a garden that we already go out and we graze on the things that are there and we have whole foods, you know, and we're going to talk about that. More. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it really does come back to that. It, we're not taught about food. Very, very few families that I know of have had that kind of educational opportunity taken with their children. It's usually just by default. What are the typical foods your family makes? And if they're making food at all, um, it's not something that we're raised with an education typically about how food works and what our bodies need and what's good and what's bad. We usually find those things out after we go to the doctor and get put on a scale and find out we've gained too much weight or you have a health condition that now raises a red flag and they say, oh, your cholesterol is high or, oh, you're, you have plaque in your, you know, your arteries or uh, you might be pre-diabetic, you know, until you have these conditions that raise their ugly head, usually you're not having a proactive conversation about food. So that's really what this is about and what we hope as we educate our clients about food and about what they need, that they take away and, and spread that education to their kids. You know, when I was uh, very young and was just starting out on my education regarding food and the diet program at IET, talked a lot about balanced nutrition and what that means, you know, when you're looking at a healthy person, what they need to sustain themselves to have a healthy diet is different than somebody who may be working out all the time or is an athlete or maybe a, a young child or even an elderly person. Um, but it's not something that they get told or, or educated on. So you find that there are people who generally just eat the same way their whole lives. Um, you know, but the funny part is when you see these young kids, right, in high school eating anything they want, and then they reach their 20s and they go, how did this happen? I've got, I've got a role. What, what, what? And you're like, yes, this is called your metabolism and it is slowing down now. Um, but, you know, it's, again, an educational opportunity, something you should share with those kids before they end up with that extra poundage that they have to figure out how to lose. One of the other things that I find to be alarming, and it's a statistic that we've talked about before, is the amount of sugar that we consume in this country. It is not just the cakes and cookies that we all enjoy because they taste so good, but sugar is hidden in so many foods. There are so many things nowadays, even if you look at the back of a soup can, uh, you'll find that somebody has snuck a little high fructose something in there, and now you're dealing with added sugars that you really don't need. Um, our country in particular does this, and other European countries have actually made it illegal to do um, because they realize that that is a, a particular component, and, and I won't call it a nutrient, uh, but a component of our foods that actually is poison to our system. Our bodies don't know what to do with sugar. And so they store it and they put it aside. And then later on, it becomes a bigger issue for us, you know, as we grow. 
but I know you've had plenty of moms who postpartum have had to feed babies. And sometimes they need more nutrients during that period of time, breastfeeding. You know, how do you help counsel moms who may be going through that transition? After birth, it seems that mom's birth givers are really hungry. And they're really hungry because their body is restoring. It's helping to make milk. And we like that. We listen for it because when they're not, then then we start getting worried, right? right. Um, but when they're really hungry, we want them to eat lots of good foods. And years ago, before I became a midwife, I got invited to a birth and this family was having their eighth baby. And after she had her baby, I it really stuck in my head because they made their own breads. They had a goat and they had all their own milk and they were very much eating foods that they made from scratch at home all the time. And she said to one of her kids, go get me my nuts. And this was her afterbirth meal. And it was a big bowl, probably about two and a half, three cups of sunflower seeds, raw sunflower seeds. She just guzzled this whole thing down. And she's like, I said, wow, that's so amazing. She says, I do that after every baby. I have a really hearty bowl of good carbohydrate, fresh, raw nuts, you know? And I just, that's always stuck in my head that, that there's an instinctualness to make sure that they get well-fed. But milk supply, if somebody doesn't eat well, milk supply is the qualities in it is not good either. So they have to eat good quality food, good fats and proteins and Sometimes there can be moms that uh, maybe don't make as much milk normally, and some of that can be breast tissue that they may not have as much. And I know that some have said, you know, as long as I rest and I eat lots of protein and I get lots of good fats and I really watch my diet, I can sustain a milk supply that the baby needs. Nothing extra, but I can keep up with them. And I think that that's what I want you know, parents to really understand is it's, it's, it's all the way through. And then after those babies are born, eat good food. And there's a book called the first 40 days, and it's a delightful book. And it has lots of recipes for that first six weeks, right? And one of the things that they talk a lot about is soups and bone broth um, that are very nourishing to the body and very sustaining, you know, and I think this is something for more and more people to embrace after their babies are born, is what are the nutritional foods that can help my body heal and repair? Because there's a wound in there from the placenta, right? right. Heal and repair, make milk, and really help me feel nurtured and nourished while I'm nurturing and nourishing this new little human being. So I think it makes a big difference. So important. And- you know, more often than hearing a mom say, I really have to continue to eat well, even though, you know, the pregnancy is over, you usually hear them say, oh, now I want to get in my pre-pregnancy genes. I'm going to stop eating. And you wonder sometimes if that doesn't have an effect on the reason why some moms don't end up nursing, because they, they go into such withdrawal so quickly and their body doesn't have what it takes to be able to make a good milk supply. You know, one thing that I've really noticed is that any excess weight that's kind of been put on to help ensure that there's those extra calories there during those first 12 weeks, right. 
I always tell mom birth givers, I say, I want you to know that, yes, you'll drop some weight as the baby is first born because it's baby and everything else. But following that, you're going to keep a certain amount on you until the baby's three months old. Once the baby's three months old and your body says, all right, they're, they're thriving, they're doing well, we're making enough milk, then your body says, now I can work on restabilizing you. And I think if, if moms would really understand that, they don't get so excited about wanting to get back into those genes. Right, right. That's, that's no honor badge. It's really not. Well, again, it's just another symptom of the way our society looks at those kinds of transitions and doesn't honor them for what they really are. I mean, you've brought a new human into the world and now you're nourishing them in the most natural way possible. Why is it that you need to look like, you know, Christy Brinkley? I'm dating myself here with Christy Brinkley. Oh, I know you are. That's it's okay. okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it, you don't have to be, you know, back to a size six, you know, in three months. That That's not the point. So when you have these moms that have then moved on and they have these new little babies, you hear all the time the moms say, oh, well, the, the toddler's eating and now I'm eating after the toddler. Um, you know, I guess to some degree that would be expected because you're probably not sitting down much when you're chasing a two-year-old. But what kind of nutritional support do you like to see moms kind of follow as their babies get to that stage of life? You know, we, we remind ourselves that when babies are nursing, they nurse every two to three hours. As they get a little more active, sometimes that slows down to every, you know, two to four hours thereabouts. And that opportunity to keep nourishing that baby. And then as they move into more of the solids, mm -hmm. it's, it's really about that parent reminding themselves that they're an example. And as they make a food for a toddler is what kind of food is it? And I think uh, many times we get into that, what carbohydrate can we feed them, right? right. It's the pieces of cereal or the little puffs or things like Cracker, that. Cracker, yeah. Yeah, and, and I get they're um, less mess. Of course, many car seats look like, you know, <laughs> they, they've had a whole box in them, right? right? Um, but we need to be able to teaching our children and travel with food like avocados. So you slice a little piece and they get a little piece. Bananas break into three little triangles. They're brilliant food for these little kids. Right. Um, and having some things that are steamed or fresh that you can take with you. Um, because most toddlers really don't care if it's hot. You know, maybe they don't want iced food, but they, they, they're okay with room temperature. And I feel like when we can be an example of a variety of foods that they are gaining a good palate that they're able to make finger food choices. And then as they get up into, you know, twos, threes, fours, for some reason, that two-year-old seems to become pasta preference. Right. You know? Right. These now, carbs again. The, back to the carbs again. Now, it's a lot of fuel. It's a lot of growing. But we've got to balance that with fruits and vegetables and protein because it's very easy to get caught in that carb uh, direction right. with them. Because it's also a palate uh, education at this point. You want them to be able to be excited by the color and the smell and the taste. 
And as you're developing that palette, the more you stretch them with choices and options, the more they're going to have that mindset as they get into the more voluntary ages, you know, that five, six, seven, when they know they can ask for things. If you've never stretched that palette, like you said, if they're sitting there on elbow macaroni for the first four years, you're going to end up with a child who doesn't have any interest in trying something new or different. Yeah, I, I see that a lot. And I've experienced that as my, you know, as a mom myself, um, my kids, <laughs> you know, funny story. I, I've never wanted my children to be kind of pinned in by food choice. So I've always taken them with me when I've gone to restaurants or things and generally tried to get them to experiment with foods that were very different, different culturally, uh, you know, different smells, tastes, different spices. And by doing this, of course, by the time they reach their five, six, seven age, they're asking for things. Hey, mom, can we go get curry? You know, most kids are going to go, what? Yo, that smells. What are you talking about? But when you start really young and introduce them to things and let them really try things out, it, it's amazing. They have such a palate. So now we unfortunately have kids who are older in age, 10, 14, teenage and more. And now taking them out to eat is way too expensive because they have such a good palate that it's not like I can go and get them, you know, chicken strips. It's not going to work out. Um, but, you know, upside and downside to everything, right? I think I can manage the problem. But, you know, when we take these kids into uh, having uh, that early childhood education age, right? So, you know, anywhere between five and, and 10, and you're starting to see them move and grow and, oh, oh goodness, I can't keep my kids in pants right now. And they end up being floods three months after I buy them. They're just growing so fast. You know that the food that we're putting in is going to be used to its fullest, and then there still might be deficits. Um, I know for us, we do a lot of supplementation. We try to make sure that we look at the food they're taking in, but there may be nutrients they still need. Um, what's your recommendations on those types of things? And do you have experience or preference? So now let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. Courses.naturalchildbirth101.com is your premium education video online series for pregnancy, childbirth, breastfeeding, and parenting. Natural Childbirth 101 will be your guide on your journey to welcoming your baby with joy and celebration. Learn the proven ways that thousands have used to take ownership for their journey and to create the most amazing memories you and your baby will share for a lifetime. Go to courses.naturalchildbirth101 to subscribe to your Bundle of Joy subscription today. So as families um, begin to start asking us questions, because as midwives, often we're, you know, that village resource, right? Absolutely. And um, I will often say to them, as the kids start eating food, give them as much finger food of normal food as they can. Then as they start getting up into their preschool and their school age time is really looking at recipes that have fun to them. Mm -hmm. Because when you can grow a garden and, and not everybody has the space or the opportunity to do that, but I'm telling you, even if you live in the middle of a very busy city. You can take a pot and grow a tomato or right. something. 
Um, and the kids generally tend to thrive on things that are growing. So if you can grow gardens, that's great. It helps them to want to do things like that. And I know, you know, we've had a couple of little grow boxes in our entry area and the tomatoes will grow. And as the kids come by, they just want to eat them like candy. They're just like, give me the tomatoes, give me the tomatoes, give me the tomatoes, right? Um, and tomatoes grow very easily compared to, you know, some other vegetables. You're lucky in California. Yes. I know. Okay. All right. <laughs> so yes, in California, when it's warm in the summertime, we get that. Um, but you know, they'll do it with the fruit trees, right? And we have seasonal things and we should keep that with them. So I think it's really exposing them to making food fun mm -hmm. and making food fun comes from getting creative. You know, they call it, uh, uh, ants on a log, right? Yeah. And I have to smile because my my office manager, she'll come in for lunch. She's brought her lunch from home and she has ants on a log. And I think it's the cutest thing, you know? So it's being able to go out there. The internet is so filled with opportunities to learn about the ways that you can have healthy meals. You know, these little energy balls that they can have dates and nuts and, and uh, different types of nut butters. And being able to just look and get creative and get your kids to help you make it. Because when they can see it and they put their, their souls into it when they do it, they tend to ex be excited. You know, I do a lot of lettuce wraps with kids, but you have to have kids that are used to loving lettuce. Right. And I'll eat anything on lettuce from peanut butter and jelly on up, you know. <laughs> so I think it's exposing them to a lot of different things. And it's also helping other family um, to not get quick at the fast food places yeah. because maybe they're not on the same venue and just saying, you know, I know that's quick. I know it's easy. I know that's kind of that, ooh, but that sounds so fun to you. Um, let me help you understand an alternative that you can take them to, you know, because there are alternatives out there when it, you want someone else to do the cooking and be quick. Um, and I think that helping them to have an alternative says, oh, they can do something fun or they can make things at home. These are some great recipes. Why don't you make something fun with them at home? So um, I really think that that sets a tone for how the kids begin to learn to love and, and, and take ownership for their health. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. When our uh, kids start to get into teenage years, I think that's a huge challenge. You kind of lose the control at that point. You know, they're out on their own a lot. Uh, and if you haven't led by example at, at that point, I think you're really fighting a bit of an uphill battle. The education they get at that point is really what they see on TV, in social media, and walking down the street. So, you know, having an opportunity uh, with them at that age can be a bit of a, a challenge. Um, but I think, again, that is also the time when they want to show their independence. Um, and I have in the past had my teenage kids have a meal that they need to cook or provide them an opportunity to, to try to try something out in the kitchen, a new, uh, a new recipe or, or something of that nature. The other thing that I have found that teenagers love is if you can do protein shakes. And uh, you be amazed what you can hide in a protein shake. Um, they all know now that mom is trick, uh, tricking them and throwing spinach in it before it blends. Uh, and it's a little hard sometimes to hide that color. Uh, it, it does have a, a trick to it. Uh, I put a lot of blueberries. It kind of hides it. 
but uh, you know, sometimes if you're going to need to ensure that they're at least getting something, maybe the first meal of the day is is something like that, and then they don't have to go the entirety of the day without some kind of nutrients to to hold them up. But we have a lot of kids in this country now that are venturing into things like diabetes, uh, weight problems. Um, when you see things like that, do you have any thoughts or recommendations on how to steer them back and, and try to help them to combat it before it becomes an even bigger issue? I think as we began to get into the sedentary lifestyle and, and the, you know, the gaming system and everything yeah. was on, on a screen, uh, plus schools were starting to lower their physical education right. Sports were not as eager to be part of. It was more cool to play with friends online. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been one of the, the contributing factors, not to mention that we have so much prepackaged food right. at this point. And I think they really need to be able to learn. And I know one of our youngest, uh, when he was in high school, they had him take a particular class that also talked about nutrition and his job was to look at his diet and look at his menu and come up with some things to do. And that was like exciting for us. That's amazing. Yeah. He came home and he said, Oh, I want to make this for dinner. And I'm like, Whoa, are you kidding me? Okay, great. That sounds just awesome. I don't know what the kitchen's going to look like afterwards, <laughs> but the sacrifice is worth it. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And, uh, and we do need to remember that as parents, yes. we have to give them that, that, that free reign, free reign, and teach them how to clean up the well, kitchen afterwards. That helps as well. It does. And how to shop for the food, you know, and I was like, so grateful to his teachers that this was part of their curriculum. Mm -hmm. And since that time, he has continued to be one that he likes to explore different tastes and explore different things that he likes to cook, you know, and he's in his mid twenties now. And, and Yes, he eats fast food. Yes, he eats other things. But the fact is he at least has some tools to use and he understands. Um, I think when fast food grew, when it was on every corner and it became, unfortunately, what I see is often the younger generation is eating fast food two to three times a day. Yeah. So when you compile that Plus, you compile a sedentary lifestyle. We begin to see where some of that is coming into place. And unfortunately, we're getting into the second generation yeah. of this. Yeah. So how do we help all of you that are listening to us when you know this? And we don't know the ages of, of who your family is. Maybe you haven't had kids yet. Um, and the real key is to set the tone at home. Mm -hmm. And yes, you're going to get some kickback if this is not something they've been used to. Right. And what I've always said is don't just say to them, we're going to do something new because especially teens, they're going to be like, well, that puts the brakes on, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You have to sit down and say, you know, here's some things that we've been studying. Here's what this looks like. Give them some reports of things that happen and recognize that young youth and early adult, they're not thinking about diabetes and multiple sclerosis and, you know, all of these uh, high blood pressures and strokes and all of that, for them, that belongs to all those people 
that are old. And, and that's just what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really about taking that ownership for their own body and helping to give them a reason why they should care. Yeah. Do you want to run faster? Do you, well, some of them, you can't get them to, to do Walk. anything, right? <laughs> yeah. So some of it is, is beginning to help that activity level with things that are fun to do. And yes, you're going to get some grumbles. Let's face it. They're, they're, teenagers like to grumble. Yep. Um, sometimes, not all of them. And the more that you can involve them in their planning, in what is our family doing? How can we make some meals that taste good, but that are also good for us? Sometimes I think appealing to them that says, I need some support. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you can roll it into, it's not just you, it's me and make sure that they understand this is something everyone's buying into. I think that goes a long way. It's not just you need to change. It's we're all doing this together. And that does mean that we as adults have to step out of our comfort zone sometimes and say, yeah, you know, I I don't move as much as I should. You know, maybe now we do a walk after dinner and we all go and, you know, it'll do a couple of things, right? It's going to give us some exercise. It'll give us some together time because, you know, we've lost a lot of that. Let's, let's face it. You know, we don't spend as much time together as we used to. And, you know, it'll also give them new habits and awareness. I mean, if they, like you said, the, the, your son who decided for himself that this was something he needed to, to pay attention to, that awareness is going to live with him through the rest of his life. So it's a great opportunity to be able to ex- show by example, do what needs to be done for your children and also help them to help themselves. You know, I read in a Time magazine back a couple of years ago, it was all about mindfulness, but one of the articles was about food, and I really took it to heart, and I started thinking about, you know, when we sit down to eat, unless we grow everything and we do everything uh, on our own farms or whatever, we're likely going to buy some things from the store, farmer's market, or eat, or some way that Mm -hmm. we're going to bring food into our house. Mm -hmm. And I was listening also to another podcast and this, uh, Noah Rashar, uh, he was talking about his son and his son was talking about a pillow. Well, I think if we take some of the things that come from outside of our house and we say, wow, how did we get this spinach and lettuce today? And we begin to be grateful. And we teach them from the time they're very little to be grateful over the food that comes in. And and our gratitude goes out, wow, thank you for this salad. Thank you for the farmers that were so diligent in making sure that it got watered and taken care of and that picked it. Mm -hmm. And thank you for the truck drivers that traveled it to the store. And thank you to the person that bought it and put it in the store. And thank you for the person that took it out of the boxes and put it in the store in a way that I could buy it. And thank you for the checker who sold me the groceries. Mm -hmm. And thank you that I could bring it home and eat it. Because sometimes I think our children in, in so many ways, but food is just one of them, that when they understand everything that went into them having that, they begin to understand that the, the, the world around them 
And that's the spiritual side right. that goes into eating. It's one choices, figuring out that it's the mental side of it, mm-hmm. but it's also the spiritual side of nutrition, which is I want to take care of this body so that this body serves me well. Right. We need to start our children from the time they are infants to say, your body is strong and healthy. And everything that goes into your body should help you to grow into the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. I get when we start something like this, when they're teens, we're going to get kicked back. And we know that a lot of seeds have already been set. And that garden is going to have to figure out what it's going to do. But I do think when we can involve them and help them go, how did we get this? Yeah, they get a little bit. <laughs> but they listen and they learn and they understand that there's a lot of people that were involved in bringing that to us. And when we garden, they understand big time, the watering and the weeding and the harvesting and what has to be done to create that. So I always think gardens are great whenever you can. Absolutely. But I think teaching them gratitude. I know with some of the grandkids when they're over and I start this, uh, <laughs> they're so cute. They'll look at me and they'll, and they'll say, oh, you know, this is so yummy. And I say, it is yummy. I wonder how we how this came to be. Well, we just went to the store and bought mm-hmm. it. And I said, yeah, but how did the store get it? And all of a sudden, their little minds start turning and they start going, oh, oh. And they're looking at me like I wasn't expecting this for dinner, you know. <laughs> um, but it it gave them cause for thought yeah. of now, how things happen. That story that you tell your grandkids, I don't know if you remember, but you also told my youngest no. uh, about five years ago. And still to this day, uh, if I ask her where something's come from, she looks at me and she goes, well, it wasn't the store. Auntie Kaleem told me that. Oh, that's <laughs> so too cute. She, it, they do remember yeah. and it does stick with them. And they, we are so disconnected from our food and food production these days. Uh, I think, you know, most adults don't give it much thought. So for the kids to have an understanding, it's a huge thing that will stick with them. That awareness, though, is another component, and it does make that food selection and the nutrients that help our bodies, uh, like you said, make it a huge component to why it works. Because we know that, you know, everything looks from a scientific level as to, you know, this has this nutrient, this is, you know, clean and organic. All of these things make sense from a scientific standpoint. But like you said, the gratitude is another whole thing that we don't often think about when we're basically taking in another living organism, whether it was a piece of lettuce or an apple. At one point, that was alive, that was growing. And now we're in, you know, taking it in to nourish ourselves. There's a whole part of that that we need to keep in mind. And again, it's very disconnected from us in this modern society. We, we don't give much thought to the fact that we picked something that was living and, and you know, took it in. Um, when we go from this to the older adults, uh, you know, we're now thriving and we've lived and we've had our own kids. We also have parents. Um, I have a mom who lives with me. And nutrients for her are huge, especially given the society we live in right now and some of the challenges that we have with health. And that brings to mind uh, the immune system and trying to make sure that your immune system is strong. We know that if we take in 
poorly chosen foods, if we're taking in a lot of sugar or processed foods, it stresses us rather than helps us. And our immune system will, will pay for that. But when we're looking at trying to build an immune system that can combat these kinds of things, um, you know, there's the, the typical high nutrient value foods, but there may be other things that can help, especially those older adults. Um, when we are trying to make sure that our parents are healthy and not taking pharmaceuticals constantly, which the number of pharmaceuticals that our older adults take these days, especially in this country, is alarming. Um, and we can always make sure, you know, especially if it's somebody that we love that's with us, uh, that we have nearby, ensure that they're eating well, because we know oftentimes older adults won't prepare things for themselves anymore. Uh, maybe there's only the two of them. Maybe there's only one of them. Um, and so it just becomes more of a hassle than they don't take it on. Um, my mom in particular, I've noticed in the last couple of years, especially when my father became sick and passed, that you know she'll walk into the kitchen, say, I'm hungry, and walk back out because it's just not worth her effort. Um, and that doesn't do things well for her body. It's not going to keep her vibrant and, and, you know, being healthy and, and being able to sustain a, a good life. I know, um, with her, sometimes it's just making something look appetizing. Um, and again, kind of goes back to the kids, right? If it's got beautiful color, if it's got beautiful flavor, if it's got great aroma, it, it's going to entice an older person to take a bite. Um, and I know that that's something that I often do. You, you have a mom who's very vibrant, uh, but very uh, active. Um, what kind of foods does she eat and how does she ensure that her body stays in tip top shape? You know, when I was young, my mom always had supplements going and she was always like, here, take take a, a B complex. No, I'm not taking no pills. <laughs> what? You're always taking the pills, you know, and she was on supplements. Why? Because she had learned. Mm -hmm. um, that those were the things that helped keep her body strong and healthy. Right. Uh, because they filled in the gaps right. of things that just, you know, nutrition did. She loved to cook. She didn't always cook very often, but she loved to cook. She was a busy gal. Um, but she always had very good quality food. And so I grew up with her teaching me about eating well. Mm -hmm. But I do remember a time when, because I, I did go through my, my vegan phase and my raw food phase and, you know, all of that. Um, and I remember a time when I said to my mom, mom, what vegetable do you eat that's fresh? And she says, well, you know, I eat fresh broccoli. It's in the freezer and it's fresh. <laughs> and there was just that moment that I'm like, wait a minute, my mom eats better than that. She should know this. <laughs> and it was just one of those humorous times. But I know when I, um, you know, when I visit her, we eat salads every day. We eat wonderful, good, wholesome foods, but she is living alone. And what I watch is they are quick prepared meals, right. the best quality quick prepared that she can do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she says, what, what good is it for me to cook for one person? Yeah. It's just not, doesn't make sense to do all of that. Right. And so, yes, she does take supplements. Mm -hmm. She's not on medications other than, you know, a very uh, normal one that most people are on. Mm -hmm. Um, and she is healthy. She is vibrant and she's always taught me 
you know, to take care of my body. And she was the one that said, you need to start getting massages. And I'm like, massages? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, mom. You know, and the next thing I knew I was, I was getting a massage and I'm like, well, I'll be darned. I kind of like this. And now I'm a massage, massage therapist, therapist, right? So uh, my mom, you know, is an incredible woman, not only just with her nutrition, but with her, her mind. Yeah. And, for years, I didn't really understand it. Now, you know, finally at my age, I, I get it. And right. She and I are just awesome friends. But my mom, like many, is uh, is is by herself. And right. she's in her 70s. She still is working. Um, but, you know, there, there just isn't that opportunity, yeah. you know, unless she goes out. Yeah. Which means... Going out is great right now. It's a little trickier. And those supplements, you know, I, I've said it in, in other podcasts in here today. It, it isn't the go-to, right? I mean, we'd rather we get the nutrient in a food, a food, a whole food, one that's been picked from the ground that hasn't had any chemicals added to it is going to be the first thing our body looks to. You know, it's going to be what they call bioavailable and our body's going to see it and be able to utilize it without having to work very hard. But if we can't get to that, if we're in a situation where we have a, a compromised immune system or we have a nutrient that in particular vitamin D is one that we hear about a lot that we need more of than we can possibly consume, it's important to make sure that we have optimum levels of those things to ensure that our body has the components it needs to heal and grow and thrive. And yeah, I think, again, it's one of those situations that's unique to each person it's not a one size fits all we've talked about before, but I think it is a definite way to fill in the gaps, like you said, especially the older people who don't necessarily eat as well as they should. It's a huge value add there. You know, let's remind ourselves that when it comes to supplements, all supplements are not created equal. For sure. Right. And just like we eat food, we need supplements that are food, really food based, not highly Processed, processed and chemicals. Otherwise, right. basically they go in and they go right back right. out, or maybe they're not going to, they're, they're going to have an adverse effect. And to use a supplement, obviously you want to talk with somebody who knows what they're talking about and reach out to somebody that can help you if, if that's something that you think you might need. Um, a doctor is not the only one that can help you with that. And actually we know doctors have very little training about food and nutrition. Uh, usually one semester in college is about all they're going to get. Um, so although they might be able to direct you to someone who can assist you, they probably won't be your resource if you need to talk about nutrition, if you've got an ailment you want to address in a natural way, or if you just know that you are not getting everything you need from the food. Well, I'm excited in the future to dive into even more specifics on herbs and supplements and um, just widening Absolutely. and expanding what we're talking about today and going into, you know, specific age groups. Absolutely. It'd be really fun. Well, now you know a lot more about nutrition than you did an hour ago. And we're hoping that the information we helped you to gather today is just the, the tipping point. You know, we're talking about the fact that there is many ways up that mountain and you need to find the one that's best for you and your family. And that's why we want to empower you with more information about the choices you have today about nutrition. And on the next Empower Today, we're going to talk about something completely different. We're going to go from nutrition to vibration. 
we'll be talking about how to lift your vibration to a higher level to create the things you want in life. Well, we've come to the close of another podcast that I hope everyone has enjoyed and will be able to embrace. And we want to celebrate you, all of you, for making the decision to be with us today. And until next time, live your empowered life. Thank you for listening to Empowered Today. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Sage Coaching. We are looking forward to you joining us for our next episode.